And do you get a better line than Bill Paxton? <laughs> That's it, man. There's nobody that delivers <laughs> lines over, better man. than Bill Paxton in that movie. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> That's it, man. Oh my god. <laughs> what are we gonna do now? <laughs> hey, why don't we uh, why don't we get around the fire? Why don't we uh, roast some marshmallows? Sing some songs. How about that? <laughs> Podcast Junkies, episode sixty-six. In case you missed it last week. I spoke to Leah Tao, so if you haven't heard that one yet, I highly recommend that you check that out. I did something a little bit different. I recorded some uh, audio of myself as I, as I was getting ready for the interview and uh, captured a bit of the uh, anxiety or uh, nervousness as, uh, as I was getting ready to head over to Leah's house. Uh, I was graciously invited over to conduct the interview and she was uh, amazing and gave me actually some tips on how to uh, monitor the interview better. So you can hear that episode 65 um, and it's always just a way for me to try something different and uh, like I said that in person was the first time I did that. So this week we're back with uh, Ram and Jonathan of the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast and if that podcast rings a bell for regular listeners it's because we are in the same podcast collective called Podcastica. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more at the uh, end of the interview, but I wanted, uh, I'd, I'd run into Rem in a chat on a chat room online um, probably last year. So I knew of him and I was um, happy to see that w- we were in the same group once I joined. And I, I want to start to get to know uh, the fellow members of my network a bit more. So it's going to be um, in the queue uh, of so some of the other f- folks that are on there. Um, we're going to get them scheduled, and so you can learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do. And so, I've always been a fan of uh, science fiction movies since I was a little kid, and it's fascinating to hear two folks and they alternate um, hosts. And at, there's, at times, there's been up to four people who have had hosting duties on the show, but today was just Rem and Jonathan. And, and, and I'm always fascinated when they can just take a topic and dissect it and talk ad nauseum ab- about uh, the, the ins and outs, intricacies, the logic, the science behind some of these shows where initially we just watched them and we think, wow, it's cool special effects or great, you know, uh, alien or action sequence. And, you know, some of these movies I really identified with in terms of my childhood and and they just left a, a lasting impression you know i think about movies like terminator and aliens and obviously uh, 2001 space odyssey so it was interesting to uh talk to people who live and breathe this and they have a show every week um and they don't just uh tackle the blockbusters they tackle some of the duds too and why they didn't work. So it's a fascinating um, podcast. If you haven't had the chance to listen to it, I highly recommend the sci-fi movie podcast. And without further ado, my discussion or conversation with uh, Rem and Jonathan. Have you done interviews with two people yet? Because that's all I've heard uh, I, so far. I have not. Really? So this should be interesting. Yeah, so you guys yeah. have to, you might have to fight over who gets to answer the question. It's going to be well, right. Well, I don't want to fight. I'll just shut up and let Jonathan do all the talking because that's that's the way he is. Rim kind of beats me into submission like every week. You don't hear it in the show. You're not supposed but... to say those things. <laughs> 
we'll you're find not supposed out. to. <laughs> this is where we find out if there's a pecking order. Every week there's a tragedy that happens. <laughs> Does it make it into the show? <laughs> is, it's, is, and it's usually me doing the extra. Uh, is Rem like the? Uh, <laughs> That's true. Is Rem like the uh, the Joker in um, Dark Knight, where he like everyone? They only tell the first person in front of them that there's like, oh, it's just you and this guy, and then he keeps shooting the guy, shooting the guy, <laughs> and, then, and then at the end, it's just him. He's like, yeah. And Jonathan everyone- didn't know that we used to have four co-hosts at one point. <laughs> did you, Jonathan? I, I did not know. <laughs> Rem just brought me on board and started calling me the new guy, and I was just lucky to to be there. <laughs> Well, I, I, I can't think of a better way to start the show then. So, uh, Jonathan and Rem, thank you so much for being guests on Podcast Junkies. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for inviting us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here. And um, I'm glad we're we're now members of the same network, so we're it's keeping it all in the family. Yeah. At some point, we're going to have to find a way that we can all get together for drinks, which yes. would be great. We I keep trying. That. Well, uh, Podcast Movement, right? Yeah. You, yeah. So, Jonathan, when... Um, when you talked about the idea, or you and Remy talked about it, and and I think there's, I have to figure out what's the order here, and you guys can let me know because when you look on the site, there's a couple of other folks who are not on uh, Ian and, and Tim. So I'm wondering, I'll, I'll hear it from John, and, and then maybe Remy can fill in. But what's what's the founder story for Sci-Fi Podcast? The founder story? Yeah. Well, actually, Rem and Ian started it together. Uh, they did about four episodes uh, before I came into the scene. And, of course, these are four movies that I would have loved to have done, Rem. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you all <laughs> so, the time. Sounds like it's a point of contention there. Uh, sure not, you- not really. I, mean, I don't have any contentious thoughts of it. I just harbor uh, negative feelings towards Rem a little bit every day. <laughs> it's just a little bit. It's but yeah. I space it out over a period of time. It's not a lot of negativity at, exactly. at once. It's it's, a, it's measured. It's, it's measured. just it's just enough to make Rem worry. Just enough to keep him bald. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, because uh, I knew that it, it had been started uh, with with Rem, and and I'm wondering, as an I don't know if you would consider yourself an outsider, Jonathan, but had you been listening to the podcast up in that point, like you said, it's only, it was only four episodes, but I'm wondering what your take on it was coming in. I had never heard a podcast and I wasn't at all in the podcasting world. And I didn't even actually listen to their podcast before joining in. I just, what? yeah, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> listen to the podcast before joining. In. I knew cause you had told me Rem what, what the structure was. Right. And then, mm-hmm. We had the idea of the of the first episode that I would be there being the uh, disasteroid episode, yeah, where it was um, Armageddon versus Deep Impact. So I just kind of did uh, way too much research <laughs> into those two movies, and and I just came expecting to talk about it, and and that's exactly what happened. And we just kind of blabbed on for a while, uh, and we kind of had a. Uh, no real structure, I think, for the first. Uh, I would say, how how long would you say, Rem? Like twenty, twenty five episodes, thirty episodes. Yeah, we would go fairly open as far as as format goes. We had a basic, loose structure that we followed, but we didn't have a time frame in place. And it wasn't until we got to maybe thirty four, fifty, fifty episodes in that I said, okay, we need to give this podcast a time frame because at one point we had recorded for. Two hours and 45 minutes. Well, that was for... The Matrix. The Matrix and Star yeah. Wars. Actually, our Star Wars episode, we recorded for longer than the movie was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we, we Rem had this idea to, to kind of 
condense it down to an hour or thereabouts. And initially, I didn't think that that was a good idea. But uh, being the guy that I am, I'll, I'll try anything once. So we tried it, we did it, and I found that that doing that made me bring uh, my only the best, only the best little nuggets that I had to bring uh, to the instead of just smashing out everything. <laughs> So I just you know, bring the best, and and it's really I think helped the show, and I and you listen to the show now, and the the flow sounds really good, and everything's uh, very tight, tight like a tiger. <laughs> was that your Australian accent? That was as close as I can get to. Actually, that was trying to be Dutch from uh, what was that gold gold member? Tight, tight like a tiger. <laughs> so so Rem, when when uh, when you first started it, did you have an idea what the structure would be? Because uh, as Jonathan alluded to, it, it, some of the some of the episodes went really, really long. But did you have a podcast in mind that you were modeling off of, or, or one that you listened to when you first started? One of the first guys that I, I kind of modeled is a guy named Robin Pearson, who has a site called the TV Critic, and I loved how he would he would dig into things like Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead, and he would talk about things that worked really well in an episode, things that didn't work. And he'd also talk about unknown things. So I kind of ripped off from him that idea of what works, what doesn't work. And initially I wanted the podcast to be 15 minutes. I wanted to get in, talk about a movie. This is alien. This is what was really good about it. This is the things that didn't work about it in out gone. And I wanted it to be a podcast that somebody could listen to on a 15 minute coffee break. Because I would get frequent 15-minute coffee breaks. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a podcast you could listen to, enjoy, and then get back to work? And when Ian and I first did Alien, I think that ran about a half an hour. And I thought, okay, well, maybe the the nature of the conversation we're having requires us to go to a half-hour format. Then we noticed we we brought in Jonathan. and And since he just goes on and on and on about stuff, we thought, well, we might have to make the podcast longer. Is he still there? Yeah, I'm still yeah. here. Oh, see, right. I'm not even going to argue that because it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Rem does all the editing and and thank God for Rem because he makes me sound way smarter than I actually am. <laughs> it's He takes it all my ums and ahs, which I've been working on, but you know, there's they're still there. And and he just he narrows the the podcast down from I just remember that two hour episode for the Matrix down to what was it in the end like an hour twenty an hour ten or something like that Yeah, I cut a lot of stuff out. Yeah, and we fun. noticed too that having as we have more co hosts because sometimes we'll have a guest host on it'll it was typically the three of us and sometimes we'd have a guest host on so I realized that for every additional person we brought in because they're going to be conveying their ideas and their opinions, the show has to be longer. So then the show started to get a lot longer. And then there was no sense of, there was no sense of how long a listener could expect a show to be. And going back to the radio days, there needs to be that expectation that your listener can have as to a basic idea of what to expect. And then when I would edit these shows, you know, editing a two-hour podcast, oh, not, not fun, brutal. So it was partly as a as a way to save my own sanity. So I went to the guys and said, "Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to one hour. I made up a basic radio clock: fifteen minutes here, ten minutes for this section, twenty minutes for this, five minutes to the top of the hour, and we're out." And 
you wouldn't really hear that if you listen to the episode, but it's a basic structure that we follow. So now that the show's around 55 minutes to an hour, I can usually get that edited. A complete editing job from start to finish takes about four hours. So, uh, Jonathan, it said, you said for the first ones where you came on, you did a lot of research, I guess, because maybe you thought there was going to be like a, a deep deep dive and... and I guess you didn't want to get booted off the first. <laughs> that was, first that was one thing. I, that and I wanted to sound smart or at least seem smart. And I still do a lot of research for every every movie that we do every week. But now I don't bring everything. I just bring bring the best nuggets because I find all kinds of crap. <laughs> and do, I mean, it's, it's it must be a rabbit hole sometimes because you get into some of these sites and they just start getting into this arcane knowledge about you know the the director and and what the the hidden meaning was and and then you end up having to watch the movie two or three times and I imagine this this be, this could become a, a a project for you that could take longer like you said than than the actual movie itself. It and that sometimes happens. I, I at least I watch the movie at least once before we before we talk about it, preferably the day before or two days before. But if it's a really complex, in-depth movie that there's a lot to, which we've had quite a few of them, then sometimes that warrants a second viewing and digging in deeper into the research to find more about it. That doesn't always come to light. That doesn't, not not all of my research has, has bubbled to the surface so that we display in the show. And, and I'm okay with that. That's, that's perfectly fine. That's kind of expected. You're not going to get everything out in every show. But yeah, I do do a ton of research and sometimes sometimes it takes me down quite the rabbit hole. Uh, so Ram, talk about the uh, selection because it seems that you purposely on occasion pick movies that uh, are considered for all intents and purposes pretty bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know that going into it, obviously because you've, you've seen it before, but do you make a conscious effort to just go back and forth between blockbusters and duds? Like the Christmas special, the Star Wars Christmas special. Is this one of the... Yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that comes to mind. Universally considered some of the worst television ever committed to celluloid. Well, when we're looking at movies, what I'll first do is I'll go through and I'll, I'll compile a list of, of movies that I recognize and think might be appropriate for the movie, uh, might be appropriate for the podcast. And I like going and finding movies that maybe the guys haven't heard of. We did one... Uh, from I think it was 72 called uh, Silent Running. And it's one of those films that if you're kind of my age, you, you probably recognize it, but it's a film that had a robot that went on to inspire the design of R2-D2 in Star Wars. Hmm. So some of these older films and some of these more obscure films kind of pave the way for the films that come. And every once in a while, we'll, we'll find something that's a, that's a real nugget, a real gem. And we'll try to find how this film has affected other films because there's a, there certainly is a lineage, you know, you can see everything going up to star Wars and then everything after star Wars, there's almost like a uh, pre and post tendency mm-hmm. there with, with films. So when I'm looking at films, I, I look at things that I'll recognize. We get suggestions from some of our listeners. We had a <laughs> fellow who wrote in today said, you, you got to do this film called Gabriel, which came out in 2007 and it's an Australian film. I don't know it, so I'm going to go dig it up and, and have a look. So we get suggestions from the people who listen to the show. And then we look at things like, is it a popular movie? Sometimes we'll do it. And then we'll look at other films that are going to be coming out later in the year. So we're starting to put together the list for 2016 and getting a sense of what movies are coming out next year. And then we'll 
maybe take some movies that are similar to that or maybe films that were prequels or sequels to that and then slot those in. Um, and then going through IMDb. IMDb is a really good resource for us. So we'll, we'll look for these films. And with science fiction, there's so much stuff, you know. And sometimes it'll boil down to taking a, a dozen movies and then asking our listeners what they think. And we're just about to do that, where we take... I put it out on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, we put a list out of maybe 75, 100 movies and, and said, hey, which movies should we talk about? And we get responses from people, and that kind of guides us how we pick our movies. What's the uh, earliest recollection recollection of, of watching a sci-fi movie in the theater that you have? Uh, Star Wars? Star okay. Still Star Wars. You know, Star Wars was the first. I think it was the first one. The one that had the most impact was Alien. Mm. And I saw it when it came out in the theater, and my brother and sister snuck me in because... <laughs> I was I was too young to see it. They got me in the door somehow. And yeah, it was one of those films that I remember trying to sleep that night, but being so afraid that there was something under the bed that was going to come and burst out of my chest. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was really Star Wars and Alien. Those were the two that, that made the biggest impression. Then growing up in the States, we used to have this channel in the Bay Area, used to live in a place, you may know of it, it's uh, not too far from Oakland and the Hayward area, and it's called Castro Valley. Okay. So I was born there, and they used to they used to play this show on the weekends called Creature Features, and it was a weekly show hosted by this guy named Bob Wilkins, and he was sitting in this chair in this creepy old house with, you know, the skull candles and he'd have a big pipe and he would be sort of the host of the movie and they would play some of the scariest movies for a person my age yeah terrifying but fascinating at the same time so that kind of got me into those those uh those sort of like 50s movies earth versus the flying saucer 20 million miles to earth started to get the education very young uh jonathan what's your earliest recollection of uh, sci-fi for me, it was seeing Star Trek Four in the theater back in 1986. Is that the one with the whales? You go straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand it when people call oh, this the one with the whales. So Harry, oh. whenever whenever a Star Trek fan mentions that film, just say, "Is that the one with the Is that the one with the whales?" And watch them explode on you. <laughs> the movie has a name. <laughs> It's the Voyage the, Home. Anyway, I was six. Home. I was six years old when that came out, and that's kind of the first recollection of, of seeing sci-fi in the theater. I, I'd seen Star Trek two and three, of course, before that, but that was all home video stuff. But uh, for a big theater experience for sci-fi, that was that was my first. So, you did, uh, so Jonathan, you think there's something about the the imprint it leaves on you when you're at such a young age? Uh, I actually remember seeing Jaws at a drive-in theater. My parents took me. It's crazy, but I think I think it has something to do with uh, the age you were at the time, and 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 you know, if that's your first experience, that sort of lives with you forever, right? Absolutely, and a nostalgia factor is one of the things that we think about when we uh, talk about movies on the podcast. You know, because there are movies that are that are good and you could look back and they're critically good. Then there's movies you can look back and you can see that the movies are really, really bad, but you still love them because you were, you were raised with them. Like you were grew up with, with this stuff. 
and and that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. So nostalgia, I think, plays a huge factor. And seeing anything at a young age is if if you like it initially, you're probably going to be hooked for life. And were you a fan of the uh, the TV show as well? Yes, yes, I was. Okay. What did you think, Harry, when you saw Jaws? You were how old when you saw it at the at the drive-in? Oh, geez, I'm gonna date myself here. <laughs> did you? Did you uh, find yeah, it? less under ten? I guess. What, what year did it come out? Seventy-eight, something like seventy-eight. Seven, seven, yeah, yeah. So I was Jaws, the first Jaws. Uh, yeah, seventy-five. Oh no, then uh, well, maybe I saw it in a drive. No, I don't think it was five. Jaws yeah. two was seventy-eight. Oh, maybe it was Jaws two then. Yeah, I think it was seven or eight. So did you did you avoid the water? Were you were you ever afraid of a shark? Because that's that's a much more realistic possibility than an alien in space. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what, Rem? I don't think you need to see Jaws to be afraid of sharks. I think it's just okay to be afraid of sharks. Yeah, just as, <laughs> they're terrifying <laughs> alpha predators of the sea. As a gen- as a general practice, as a general practice, <laughs> be afraid of sharks. So you, so you would say, Harry, that you practice shark avoidance on a daily basis? I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. A, I'm actually not a fan of the beach, but I don't think it's because of the sharks. I don't. I don't think I think about it too much. But mm. I'm, like, I imagine if I was surfing or I, I like to swim deep in the ocean, I, maybe I'd think about it. But I don't go in with enough frequency to have it be something that's top of mind. Now, predator. That's that scares me. <laughs> Because you're frequently in jungle scenarios? Yes. And as much, no matter how much mud I put on to mask my heat signature, it just doesn't seem to work. I know what you mean. You know, you can only pack on so much mud before it just starts to get dry and it gets all cakey and it plays havoc with your complexion and then it gets all over your eyelashes. You know, if you're being hunted in the jungle by a predator being covered while you're covered in mud, I don't think your complexion is going to be top of your top of your worry list. <laughs> so, predators that uh, is that sci-fi? I would absolutely say so. Yes, what do you think, Jonathan? Yes, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. It's got weird aliens in it. Yeah, I'll mark that down as sci-fi. So, is that so? I take it that hasn't been covered. Oh boy, has it ever? Yeah, we actually okay. talked about we talked about Predator okay. and and of course Predator <laughs> Two with Danny Glover. <laughs> And, a classic, uh, an absolute yeah. classic. And uh, who's the other guy who's on um, Walking Dead now? Oh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Oh, which the which the, the Puerto Rican guy? Oh, um, Ruben Blades. Ruben Blades. He was in there. Ruben Ruben Blades is great. Yeah, he's actually the best part of Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah. So yeah. so so, Ram, what's the line between horror and sci-fi? Because uh, Alien sort of crossed that, you know, straddled both sides, right? Yeah, it really does. When you look at Alien. I think the sci-fi component is being a futuristic story where the mining of space has become the norm. So here's a film that's set in the future and space travel is no longer this frontier that we're trying to conquer. Now it's a resource base. So when you look at a look at a ship like the Nostromo, a commercial towing vehicle, which is hauling a refinery back to Earth, working in space is no big deal. And one of the reasons I like this movie so much is that they treated it with such realism. It's a it's a dark, dirty, oily, greasy ship. It doesn't have that, you know, pretty, plasticky, shiny interior that we see in a lot of the more sanitized sci-fi. So I think that's where we get the sci-fi quality. And then when you take the alien, you know, created by Giger, that people unfamiliar with his artwork 
wouldn't have expected something like that. If you know Giger's work, you see that that kind of biomechanical quality is is present in a lot of his artwork. But to see them create the villain or the the monster using Giger's vision, that brought the horror. And man, did that make an impression! So I then, think, uh, I think uh, for uh, me, when when I talk about kind of a fantasy versus sci-fi, because I see horror is kind of really broad topic that you can that a lot of other genres can fall under you can have a horror sci-fi you can have a horror western you can have a horror um kind of supernatural thing and the the big difference for me is where is the movie going to ask me to suspend my disbelief if it's going to ask me to suspend my disbelief because of a fantastical or magical reason then i'm not going to consider that sci-fi if it's going to ask me to suspend disbelief for a science-based reason, for example, we have ships in outer space that can fly faster than light. Then that delves into the realm of science fiction. So, Jonathan, do you think Alien is science fiction as well as horror? Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Science fiction and horror. And the two can go hand in hand. So then uh, Aliens, which for me is you know one of the best movies of all time and i think part maybe because of the timing of when i saw it but i think it 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 it, it got that perfect mix of like action big budget blockbuster a uh, little bit of comedy thrown in special effects and just the the pacing of the film is and from just every every time i remember watching it it's just it seems just like just one non-stop roller coaster ride yeah alien and aliens are two very different beasts and a lot of people don't realize when they watch Aliens, if they're expecting that from Alien, they're not going to get it. Alien is a slow-paced, building-up horror movie, mm-hmm. whereas Alien is a much more fast-paced action movie. It's it's very... When did it come out? The 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's, it's very much a sci-fi action movie versus a uh, a horror movie. And the unofficial sell line for it was... This time it's war, because because yeah. James Cameron was thinking, thinking, well, how do you how do you put Marines in space, yeah. space Marines, <laughs> and I I think it was it still stands up in my top five of all time, because it continues the Alien story beautifully. We we see a character in Ripley who has survived this devastating event and then gets thrown into the grinder again, somehow manages to survive. And then when you, when they introduce Newt as a character and, and Newt becomes Ripley's almost surrogate daughter and that relationship that forms between them, there's a real humanity that we see here. And I think this is where James Cameron really shines because we have a, we have a, a female hero who's able to maintain her humanity. They took the, the cast, they actually put them through military training. So the cast before they even started shooting they were actually in boot camp together. So that rapport that you see on screen, they built that. They That actually existed. And, and those are the kind of things that when you take the time to make a cohesive cast and, and give them the time to generate that chemistry, it really shows on screen. And that's where it really pays off. And do you get a better line than Bill Paxton? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There's man. nobody that delivers lines Game better over, than man. Bill Paxton in that movie. Game over. <laughs> That's it, man. Oh my god. <laughs> what are we gonna do now? <laughs> hey, why don't we? Uh, why don't we get around the fire? Why don't we uh, roast some marshmallows? Sing some songs. How about that? 
And then there's the uh, and then um who was the actor who was on the uh the TV show and he was he was the the guy who wanted to bring the um the he wanted to bring the the alien back harvested with with inside Ripley. Oh, Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser. Yeah, I mean cuz up until that point you had seen him in this like comedic roles and he like takes a twist as this like evil like sinister bastard, company man. Yeah, sister bastard corporate guy. Corporate douchebag. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was just on an episode of Bill Maher, I think last, not this past week, but the week before that. He is looking his age now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the company man thing is taking its toll. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering, as you as you look at some of these and, and you think about the movies that end up um, standing the test of time, is a lot of it have to do with uh, story or effects or a, a balance of both? I'm wondering, Rem, if you could talk about that and then, then Jonathan chime in. I think the storyline, it's it's going to be a combination of the story that's being told and the the way the characters are able to build themselves into the story. A good example is Terminator. Very low-budget film, one of the earlier ones from James Cameron. It's a film that I can still go back and watch today, even though it's got a bad music soundtrack. <laughs> was done on a synthesizer by somebody for next to no money. Very 80s. Very 80s. And I go on at length about using 80s music in movies, which I think is generally a bad idea. Except for Toto. Except for Toto. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I think I think Jonathan saw that one coming. I so did. looking at looking at how the the film develops develops itself, it's it's really a human character driven story that has a science fiction wrapper around it. Mm -hmm. And I think it really boils down to the characters that you put in the situation. If you can have characters that are interesting and compelling and flawed people that you can cheer for or cheer against and, and tell a story that doesn't insult the listeners. I, I think that's the, the real secret. And I think we're seeing more and more of these films. Now we're seeing really good quality stories like the Martian. It's a really well-told story that's scientifically grounded. And I think when people get too absorbed in things like special effects, Michael Bay, then the characters get lost. And then you don't care about the characters, and then I can't care about what's happening. So for me, it's it's got to be strong, interesting character development and a plausible, interesting story that I can follow. Jonathan? Well, Rem, you really hit it on the on the head there. <laughs> I don't know what I can say to, to follow that. God, this is why I hate following Rem on anything. Oh. <laughs> okay, Steals all my points. But I have to agree. <laughs> Story is, is, is absolutely necessary. Characters that you care about, that you can empathize with, that you want to follow is so important. The story is, is also important. I'd say they're almost equal parts because I could watch a really interesting character, but only for so long. And I can watch a really interesting story, but if I don't care about the characters, then it you're going to start losing me. One of the great examples of this is the, the show, uh, the movie Moon, mm. starring Sam Rockwell, mm -hmm. where it's just him and Kevin Spacey, Kevin as, the, Spacey as the robot. As, as the robot. Gertie. As Gertie. And they basically have to kind of act together, and it's almost entirely character-driven, but there's still a story there that makes me want to follow it. You know, if it was just about a guy stuck on the moon, I'm probably not going to care if he just goes cabin fever crazy. But 
there's a story behind it that I'm, I I want to get into. Now you counter counterpoint that with uh, and let's say any Michael any Michael Bay movie. <laughs> Good. Where where it's all about the visual effects. He spends so much time creating these big set pieces with these big special effects and too many explosions, and the characters are lost and the the story is is a little well I don't say a little weak probably very weak. And you just like there's a point where you go I just can't watch any more Michael Bay movies and for me it was supposed to be the third Transformers movie but when I saw the advertisements for the fourth one and certain actors can draw me in and Kelsey Grammer's an actor who I, I look at it and I go oh well, if Kelsey Grammer's in it <laughs> maybe I'll see it maybe maybe and then Stanley Tucci was in it and I'm like okay well Kelsey Grammer and Stanley Tucci I'm gonna have to go see it and then I went to go see it and I'm like why did I see this <laughs> their characters were great but they didn't have a good story behind it and their characters weren't expired. Like, I actually cared about Stanley Tucci's character and he was the bad guy. <laughs> Wait, wasn't that the one with Marky with uh, Donnie Wahlberg? Yes, yes, Marky Mark was yeah, front and center on that one. Wasn't that enough to make you not go? Uh no no. Feel it, feel it. No. I, you know, I I'm kind feel of Feel the vibration. <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence about about Marky Mark cuz there's there's stuff I really like him I in. I like him. Yeah, he was good in Departed. And there's stuff that is just he's in it's just awful like the happening uh, the happening is immediately comes to mind that movie was terrible but like he's done he's done good and bad work like he did what was the one where he was a hit oh the big hit okay. i don't know if anybody's seen the big hit it was ridiculously silly but he was fun in it and then he does things like planet of the apes that remake the tim burton one from God, what did the early two thousands? That was brutally bad. So, I mean, it's not enough for me to want to just not see a movie because he's in it, because it might be good. It might be. He was in Ted and Ted Two, and <laughs> those are two of my favorite, com- almost my favorite comedies of all time. They're just so funny. <laughs> I think too, there you'll find a point where you can you can look at an actor like uh, Charlize Theron. Love Charlize Theron. But I saw Mad Max Fury Road, and it wasn't, to me, a good enough film to make me want to go see it just for her. There's got, there's got, to, be, there's got to be more to it than that. And we take a film like um, Robot and Frank, which Jonathan introduced to me a few months ago. And it's a sweet little story with Frank Langella mm-hmm. and this robot. And it's a little sleeper movie that few people have seen and I've kind of made it a mission now to introduce this to people as much as I can because when you look at the elements of sci-fi and storytelling I will take Robot and Frank over all of the Transformer films combined. Oh yeah. What about The Last Mimsy? Did you guys see that? The Last Mimsy? <laughs> sounds, what? That, Did that you make that up? sounds familiar. No, no we didn't. I've, I've heard of this. Um, <laughs> it's something to do with uh, some sort of box that comes to earth and these kids it's along the the lines of like a jumanji um oh okay but it's uh yeah it has some um pretty there's some pieces of it that i thought were interesting when they tell stories that you know i'm, I'm a big fan of like uh stories that delve into like other dimensions and like interstellar and stuff like that so when there's pe- some movies that uh, have a piece of that in there and like i sort of gravitate to some of those movies and, and i'm fascinated by stuff like that did you enjoy interstellar I loved it. 
Absolutely loved it. Oh, interesting. We So we have to do it on the podcast still. So maybe we'll get you on to talk about it with us. Well, I mean, it's because I'm I'm, I've been reading a lot about like multiple dimensions Mm. and I think the way and the story is extremely slow extremely slow and it takes like a long time to get to to, you know the the punchline or 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 wherever they're going with that and there's and the and some of the dialogue is hard to hear I mean my 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 wife is uh from Colombia and she's like what the hell is uh What's his name uh, saying? Who's the Matthew McConaughey? No, oh, him always. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who's the uh, the old guy who dies? The old guy um, who dies. Uh, Alfred and the new. Yes, uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah, and he was yeah. mumbling a lot during that movie. That's because that's how he acts. That's yeah. his thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot. You know, when you think about it, um, I think. But I put so much weight, and I think I scored it skewed heavily on like the last 30 minutes of it because for me it's just the way that he outlined that was so in line from like my thoughts of how that could be portrayed and the fact that he was able to show it on screen in a way that wasn't like completely ridiculous i was like whoa okay there's there's a there are people who really enjoyed it people who really didn't and i i came out more on the side of enjoying it because I i think you're probably a little bit more patient with movies yeah yeah, you'll probably give it a chance to develop itself and do its thing. And, you know, sometimes a movie can be slow and still be good at the same time. And sometimes it takes that time to be able to really build the characterization. Yeah, I'm a fan of movies that make you think. Um, I I remember when I went to go see Memento, I mm. liter- literally walked out of the theater, went to eat pizza. This was in New York City. And then I was with my brother and his my two brothers and then one of them I told I said I'm going to go back in and watch this again right now cuz I need wow. to like I need <laughs> to like figure out like what just happened and then with the context of having seen the whole thing through and then I'm I like go back in I had some notes and I'm like okay this is happening now because of that happening and so I like movies that make my brain hurt every now and then and then of course I I'm 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 guilty of watching the Expendables as well, so it's oh it's, wow! It's, but that was a guilty pleasure. <laughs> that was like every kid or every person who watches all these action movies from the '90s, and they said, "Wow, I guess you know why it wouldn't be cool if Sylvester Stallone was in was in a movie with uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger." Like ah, that'll never happen. You know their, their contracts will never allow that. But now that they're all old and washed up, <laughs> it was just hilarious. It's those are, don't get me wrong; they're absolutely horrible movies. But it's one of those when the wife goes on a trip, I'm like okay i want to see what this is about and it's like every single action movie star that you can think of is in there and it's so funny it's like when you used to think when you were a kid and used to play with like your gi joe and and like all you have all your action figures and you would mix up your star wars and your gi joes and like it didn't matter you just like mashed them all together and that's that's what i felt that series is yeah so you've got a little predator and you got a little hulk Who's, who's fighting a little Obi-Wan Kenobi, and they're all just multi-universe mashup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you, though. I, I, I'm guilty of watching The Expendables, but I, I know, I know that it's a guilty pleasure going into it. I know oh, yeah. that this is going to be a terrible movie. The, the, I'm going to laugh at it for probably 90% of the time, but I'm really only there to see Dolph Lundgren kick some ass. <laughs> Yeah, that, I think that's that was part of the uh, allure, I guess, with uh, Predator versus Alien, right? Yeah, yeah. So much potential. <laughs> so much potential. And I think when we looked at, you know, my favorite character being the alien and then having the introduction of the Predator, 
what I really dug about these two characters is that they had backstories that we didn't really know. You know, even even now, if you take Prometheus and put that aside, until Prometheus came out, we didn't know where the alien comes from. Yeah, and we still don't have much information about the Predator homeworld. And I, I love the, the the process of digging into those characters and finding out the origin stories. Like, like, tell me more about the Predator. How does their society work? How does their social structure work? You know, they drop off young Predators in these hostile environments, and if they survive, great. But it would be really great to dig more into those characters and find out how those societies work. And then the process of bringing them together, I like the idea. I like the idea I just wish it could have been better fleshed out. I agree. Execution was faulty. <laughs> because in this particular case, you know that you know that in order to have aliens to fight, you need to have hosts. Yeah. So we need to put a certain amount of cast in here to be the hosts. And we don't can't really develop them too much because they've got chests have to explode. <laughs> so they didn't they didn't develop the characters in a way that we got in say like an aliens uh that's a good point uh, jonathan how much disbelief are you willing to suspend um for the sake of a of a decent storyline i'm willing to suspend quite a bit as long as you don't ask me to disbelieve something i know to be a fact and i'm going to give you the best example i can was the first gi joe movie i don't know if you've ever seen it I may have. I thought you might have. <laughs> now, at the end of the movie, they have this big attack at this underground base that's underneath ice. And their big idea is that they're going to explode a big chunk of the ice above. And this whole ice shelf is going to uh, you know, crush the base below. And it works because in their universe, ice sinks. And that's a that's like a breaking point for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know ice floats. <laughs> you can't just write in and the ice sinks down and crushes them because it doesn't work. I'm willing to suspend a lot of disbelief, but you, you can't tell me that ice sinks. That's funny. So that's the breaking point. That is that is just one of the breaking points. You can't take a, like a fundamental thing that, that people know and and say, poof, no, no, it's we're doing the opposite of that. Like... Tell me the ship can go faster than light? No problem. Tell me you can turn people into energy, zap them to a different place, and reassemble them from energy back into matter? I'm even willing to believe that. But you tell me that ice sinks? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, the energy one is easy. I mean, when you just you, you start getting out, pulling out the microscopes and you start digging, digging deeper and you start looking at the, the protons and the quarks and everything just starts vibrating when you get down low enough, you're like, okay. So you just got to figure out a, a, a machine that makes us quarks and then we'll all vibrate. And <laughs> yeah. And at some point, it. at some point we're all energy anyway. It's yeah. just a matter of breaking it down and then being able to transform it and then reassemble it, of course. Yeah. Yes. But then again, there's the Heisenberg principle, which is why uh, Star Trek has the Heisenberg compensator as part of their transporter system. Okay, you can't introduce the Heisenberg principle for the listener without at least giving us the uh, the the thirty second explanation. Well, the Heisenberg principle basically states that you can you can do one of two things: you can observe the position or the movement of a particular atom, quark, or something like that, but never both at once. And to transport 
anything in the way that Star Trek does, you would have to know you would have to know both those things. So that begs the question, Jonathan, what was your favorite subject in grade school? Math. <laughs> I was really good at math and I did honors math. I mean, I did I did acting too and that was that was a lot of fun. I did a lot of improv, but the the course I had the the most fun with and the easiest time with was math. But why? I'm a dork. I'm a dork. No, but, no, but, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, every, every, I, I mean, everyone's got their own subjects. But was it something that uh, runs in your family? Or are your parents? Uh, no. <laughs> if you if you knew my dad, you would know it definitely did not run in the family. <laughs> uh, I think the the biggest thing is that I I failed grade nine. I straight up was smoking a lot of pot. <laughs> And doing a lot of skateboarding, and this is actually a year I was living with my dad. Uh, so, and he's not a uh, what anybody would call a responsible parent. Um, I'm not. I love my dad, but he was a terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible uh, father uh, in terms of being a dad. Um, and I've learned a lot about what not to do from him. But uh, yeah, so I was doing a lot of pot. I wasn't going to school pretty much at all. Uh, I was getting in, into into a bad way, so I ended up failing grade nine entirely, and and I and I redid grade nine, and that that failure kind of kind of snapped me back into into well shit. I guess I should probably you know learn and stuff. <laughs> I ended up moving back to Vancouver and living with my mom, and uh, I, I never I never failed a grade after that. And uh, and math was one of the things that, as I redid it, things snapped into place. And there was always a point in my in my learning where, if I have a confusing thing, eventually, I just it just kind of snaps and I get it, you know. And math was one of those things that early on it snapped and I got it, and I never stopped getting it. And that's obviously painted your perspective on how, since we're talking about the movies, how you look at the how you look at them through that lens, and how you apply that your 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 logic um, to what you see on the screen. I do. I'm I'm incredibly analytical. <laughs> <laughs> I and I there's there's things where I'll I'll note like especially if it's and I've and I've mentioned these in in certain podcasts before how certain numbers uh, appear in certain places and at certain times for certain reasons that the movie makers put in that a lot of people just don't get. Uh, and then there's inside jokes like uh, Star Trek's use of the number 47. I don't know if you, you know about that. No, I don't. It's an inside joke that started back in, in the Next Generation era where a couple writers would, whenever they needed a number, they would use uh, 47 or its inverse, 74. And that's why you get a lot of, you know, oh, where are we going? Starbase 4747. <laughs> uh, what's this new species? Uh, well, the Borg are calling it 8472. Right? How got many it. survivors did we beam from the Lakul? I got 47 out of 250. So other writers started picking up on this, and they started putting it in more and more until the, the number 47 has become almost iconic amongst Trekkies who are the deep, deep nerds. <laughs> And that we recognize it as the most common number in Star Trek. Interesting. See, I didn't know that. That's that's really good information for me. <laughs> yeah. So, Rem, can you explain for the uh, non-sci-fi fans what exactly is the beef between Star Wars and Star Trek's fans? 
You know, I think I'm going to have to defer to Jonathan <laughs> on this one because Jonathan is much more knowledgeable about the Star Trek universe than I am. I have always been more of a Star Wars guy. But so coming from your perspective, you and I, so and I'm I, wondering what your take on it is. I don't see a reason for a beef personally, because I think there's room for both. It's, it's the same thing that it's the same sort of mentality that says you can enjoy one color, but you can't enjoy this other color. Well, I think you can kind of enjoy them both. I, I love star Wars first, but I really came to enjoy star Trek. So I think there's room for both. Jonathan, what do you think? Is there uh, what's, how did the, how did they split? How did the chasm happen between star Wars and star Trek? Well, they're both have the word star in their name. Oh, so yeah. instantly people are going to pit one against the other. It's like how you pit, um, you know, a- aliens versus predator. You know, you're always going to pit those two against each other in your mind. It's always going to be star Wars versus star Trek. And I think for me personally, star Wars and star Trek are, are apples and oranges. I can't compare the two. I love them both. I'm a huge star Wars fan and I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a bigger star Trek fan, but there's at no point will I say that that one is better than the other for any reason. I love Star Wars for a whole set of reasons. I love Star Trek for a whole set of reasons. And I think what it is is that people just like to see people fight. <laughs> and that's where any kind of divide comes from is, you know, people just like seeing people fight. We like to put things up against each other and, and see who and see who wins. I mean, we've even been guilty of doing that on the on the podcast where we talk about we have these SmackDown episodes where we say, okay, well, who's going to win a a Borg cube versus the Death Star? And and we talk about it and we, you know, come to a not always consensus. Um, <laughs> but that's just playful banter. I know a lot of people take it super seriously. And I, I think that's where you go wrong is I think it's okay to have fun with it, but when you when you start taking it seriously and you start taking it personally, as some people do, then that's that's a bridge too far. Yeah, just ask Tupac and Piggy, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you think about it like chocolate sauce and caramel sauce. I love them both, and I'm not going to banish one for the other, and I'm not going to say one is better than the other. I'm just going to have them both. Yeah, they all. It should they- also be noted that I think Rem is lactose intolerant, so he's just doing these straight shots. <laughs> Like yep. He's not putting it on ice cream or anything. He's just drinking the, the syrup. This is not coffee I'm drinking right now. This is this is caramel sauce in a coffee cup. It's my shameful secret. <laughs> so, uh, Rem, talk about your, your background in radio and if, if it's, I mean, if it's something, um, and if the podcast is an extension of something that you've, like, it's always been something a part of, a part of your life. Oh, radio, the dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> radio was not to sound dramatic, but radio was one of my best friends growing up. When we grew up, I used to have a little transistor radio when transistor radios were a thing. And and going to sleep, I would listen to my favorite radio show, which was KSFO Mystery Theater. And I would be laying in bed with my radio next to my ear. That As cheesily romantic as that sounds, it was a really close companion for me. When we moved to Canada, to Northern Ontario. <laughs> Sorry, Rem, that just sounded really sad. I, kinda, <laughs> I know. 
I kind of I kind of feel a little bit for you inside. Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> my best friend was a radio. My best friend. Oh, uh, that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? It wasn't my best friend, but it was it was um it was something that I liked to listen to at night. His buddy. When we when we, <laughs> we moved to Northern Ontario, my parents brought us to Northern Ontario, a place called Kirkland Lake. And we lived out in the sticks, literally, literally out in the sticks where we had one radio station, which eventually I went to work for. And at night, the station would play CBC programming and religious programming and nothing that I could listen to. So I took I took about 100 feet of copper wire, strung it all over the roof of my house, plugged it into the back of my record player. Wow. Because I had one. And having that antenna plugged in, it gave me a chance to pick up other stations. So I would listen to a station called WLS out of Chicago, which was a rock station. So listening to rock music at night, going to sleep, it, it became a real friend. And I got to really like the radio announcers. And at some point later on after high school, I had an opportunity to work at a little station called CJKL, which is still in operation in Kirkland Lake. Um, hello, if you're listening from CJKL, and on, you, started, you, you can do the call letters better than that. Come on, I I could. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be an AM station, but I think it's FM now. So it's something FM CJKL, and I started working there as uh, as an overnight guy doing overnights in radio, and it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was one of those things where being a young person being able to play music and then talk to people in a cool studio. It was everything that a young person could kind of want. And then being that I had friends, you know, radio was my friend growing up. I actually started to become that friend to other people. Cause when you work overnight in radio, you get a lot of phone calls, strange ones. You get some really strange phone calls. So you have some really interesting conversations. You get to know some people and, build up that sort of connection and rapport. And and I got to where I, I felt like I had a real connection with the listeners. And there was that sense of me talking to one person. And it could be it could be a guy driving a snowplow in Hearst. Or it could be some woman who is just coming home from a, a lay shift at the hospital or some guy working at an all-night gas station. You know, it was my chance to be with people who didn't have anyone else to be with. Does that makes any sense? Yeah. So there was the kind of a, it's kind of an odd relationship, but there was a, there was kind of a, an intimacy about that. And I, I loved how there was that sort of feedback that goes back and forth where somebody calls up and asks for a song and you play a song for them. And it's, it's one of those things where we're serving people, but building a relationship at the same time. So, so podcasting, when that came along, that gave that gave the opportunity to have that interaction with people again. And now, instead of people listening to us on the radio in one geographical area, we've got people all over the world. You know, you've got people listening all ports of uh, Europe. I'm sure you've got South America. I'm sure you've got China. And that's one of the things about podcasting is it really opened up the possibility to be able to get to know people over a greater distance. And, and I think the thing about radio too, is that now the structure of it has changed so much where a lot of it's automated. Um, with the podcast, we're able to have a 
kind of a loose structure. We have a, a basic structure to what we do, but we're not adherent to things like, oh, we've got to roll spots at 10 after the hour, or we've got to do news at the top of the hour, yeah. or traffic on the ones. You know, we, we have a lot of the benefits of being able to broadcast like radio people without the CRTC regulations yeah. and all of those rules that go with it. And you can curse, curse as much as you want. I could, but we don't. <laughs> and we don't, we don't because I guess, I guess being in radio for so long, we just, I, I learned that if I'm going to say something, I have to be able to do it without profanity and it mm. just carried through and I and Jonathan and I could swear as much as we want to but I think what we've done now is we've we've kind of set a tone for the show and if we started dropping f bombs right left and center how do you think that would go Jonathan fantastic for me I was a sailor <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I don't I don't think that that cursing is necessary I like I said I was I was a sailor I was in the navy for 12 years so I I do have quite quite the proficient use of the curse words but there's a time for it and there's a time not for it and there have been times occasionally on the show where i have let loose uh, the occasional cuss word and either rem edits it out or we beep it or do you have, you know, have you ever beeped it and just edit it out i usually just the edit them out but a few of them i've actually left in yeah you should have uh the phaser sound and you could just Hey, I like that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. Rem, Jen, take a note. Take I'm, a note. I'm taking a note. Phaser sound and more cursing. Well, just so we can use it. And set them well, on, make sure you set them on stun. Sick, must set phasers <laughs> to stun. Well, Jen over at the Congressional Dish, for her profanity, she drops in a golf swing. That's, oh, nice. Whoosh. Yeah. So she 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 does that, and that's pretty cool. And I think, I think if there was an instance where we really wanted to use profanity and it was appropriate... I can I can see the idea of maybe doing it. Um, I think profanity is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Contrary to what you think, I just think it has to be used uh, appropriately. You know, it's it's like putting it's like putting icing on something. A little bit of icing is good. Yeah. Too much icing, after a while, the profanity tends to lose its punch. Yeah, and like you said, you have you've got your audience of loyal fans, and if you did yeah. something out of the ordinary like that, it, it really you know, be a bit of a shock to them. I'm sure. I know we've got people who listen while driving their kids to school. Yeah. So if if we start doing that, you know, that it's going to be something that people don't that people don't expect. Yeah. And we've been doing it without profanity long enough that I think I think we're okay. How many years? Who knows? Who knows? I, th I think we're okay. And there was an episode a couple weeks ago where a lot of the comments had. Uh, language, strong language in it. And we had to say beforehand, uh, you know, when we get to the comments section, this is going to have some strong language. So if you have kids around that you don't want yeah. to hear that language, then maybe they should leave the room. Yeah, I think that's always a, a nice uh, warning to, to parents. Yeah, always, I'm sure listening with having their kids in the backseat or their kids in the house. So better safe than sorry on that. Yeah, and there's an expectation. If if we had the expectation that there's going to be profanity all the time, we'd be fine with it. And people would just know that either they want to listen to our show or they don't. But we've built up this, we've, we've built up the expectation that, that we won't have it most of the time. So I think to change that right now would probably do us more harm than good. So, so Jonathan, you, you gave me the opening for your Navy career there. <laughs> you said 10 years, and it was due to, uh, from what I understand, a, a Dan Aykroyd lookalike. 
it was it was i was in high school and the the couple navy recruiters came to it was like career day and the one guy looked like dan Aykroyd. he looked just like dan Aykroyd, and and i was i kept staring at him listening to what he's saying i'm like is that dan Aykroyd? Did you Dan ask him? A- Dan Ackard was Canadian, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. So I ended, up, I, ended up, I ended up going down to the recruiting office. Uh, I talked to him there, and I'm like, a lot of people tell you you look like Dan Aykroyd? He goes, yes, and none of them are alive now. <laughs> 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 so it wasn't Dan Aykroyd. It was just some dude. But I ended up signing on with the reserves at that point, and then a couple years later I joined the regular force. And then I was in that until 2009. Were you able to put uh, your math skills to use in the Navy? Kind of. <laughs> what <laughs> I did, I, I was what's called a, a naval combat information operator. So I sat at a radar screen and I built a, a picture for our command staff using all the resources I had uh, at my at my disposal electronic warfare communications sonar etc cetera, etc cetera. and part of the job was determining uh the closest point of approach to an approaching vessel so usually the the bridge will say okay let us know if anything is going to come within three miles of us and you gotta know how to calculate that and for me it was easy i could just visually see yeah it's going to be here in you know 10 minutes uh, a lot of guys had trouble, and fortunately, computers took most of the problems away. <laughs> so, who was your uh, Star Trek character equivalent? Oh, God! I don't know some guy below deck, so you never see who they put into a dark room and don't tell him anything. <laughs> uh, not a red shirt, right? Though not a red shirt for Good. sure. Not a red shirt. But Every, everyone knows the red shirts always die. Yeah, and, and when you think about shows like Star Trek and and star wars and and any of these shows all you ever see is command staff (laughs) like you only see the officers you never see any of the people that actually do the work like data sits at a console and he's like yep i got this and i got this but somebody is down below frantically feeding information into a computer (laughs) so that he can see that (laughs) and then that was me (laughs) well i guess things don't drastically change because if this was like uh hundreds of years ago that it's the equivalent of the guy shoveling the coal into the steam engine right and just to keep keep everything moving and while exactly yeah and and we still call those guys stokers there's i mean there's nobody shoveling coal into an engine it's it's all diesels now or uh, uh, turbine engines uh, in some cases but we still call them stokers because back in the day yeah they they stoked the fire just like uh, my trade they called um Oh, no, so communications guys, they called sparkers because they'd have to change out crystals and they would spark when you put them in. Hmm. Learn something new every day. So I guess the equivalent would be in an older ship, you would be the guy at the top of the pole with the binoculars. Pretty much. Okay. And the crow's, kind of the eyes, eyes of the fleet. The crow's nest. The crow's yeah. nest, yeah, yeah. The crow's nest guy. So, Jonathan, you were giving uh, Remy a hard time about his radio. What, what's your <laughs> earliest recollection of, uh, or your first piece of technology? Oh, God. Uh, now you're stretching it back. Uh, the, the first piece of technology I can remember owning was probably a, an, a Nintendo Entertainment System, like an NES. The first piece of technology I bought myself with my own money was a small 
boombox that would play tapes and it would play the radio because CDs were getting widespread, but not too widespread. And I had a big collection of tapes. Tapes. <laughs> Tons of tapes. And I would I would make these mixtapes based on uh, radio recordings so I could listen to my, my favorite music. Um, and then from there... I didn't. I didn't buy tons of technology on my own, you know, because I was just a kid. But um, once I, you know, moved out, I started buying all my own stuff. Um, you know, like I remember my one of the first purchases my mom gave me a, a TV. She gave me her old small TV when I moved out, and I had to buy a VCR so I could actually watch some of my movies. And then that was also uh, the year. The year after that was when DVDs came out. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to have a DVD player. So I got a DVD player and I built my own computer after that. And after that I was building computers on my own. And now I'm, you know, I'm still building computers. I've built my own computer that we're recording on right now. Have you ever built any with a fish tank inside? No, but I was very tempted to with this one because it's got a nice big window and I have a ton of space in there. I let just picturing that. That's brilliant. No, I, I I used to follow some of those um, like modders and the people who would like build their own machines. This, this was in the era of like you know when gateways were out, and you'd see these magazines of like obviously you'd get the best of each. You know the best super cooling chip and everything had to be cool because it was like so hot and then you these crazy cases and then you'd see some of them with like growing plants inside of them and some of them wow. had like yeah, aquariums it was crazy aquariums yeah because they'd have the the lights the, the yeah, sort yeah, of the, the neon, neon lights the neon lights yeah yeah it was like the fast and the furious for computers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. another timeless classic <laughs> yeah yeah that's not that that I don't what what genre that's just considered action genre, right? Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I would I, say so. I'm really surprised that just keeps on going. How, how is the Fast and Furious still a thing? C- can you only do can it's, you only do so much stuff with a car? Isn't, I, it, isn't it approaching the the world of sci-fi now? Because I I just saw the trailer, but there's one scene where he literally like drives the car outside the window of a skyscraper and magically lands inside like five floors down of the adjoining skyscraper. Wow. <laughs> is that, what do you think, Jonathan? Is that sci-fi? Is that, is that now a hover car? I think it might be too fast and too furious for, <laughs> for our, for our show. So uh, speaking of uh, into, into the future, were you guys disappointed that, uh, the, the the prognostications of Back to the Future didn't didn't hold up too well. No, not really. I mean, I'm a Star Trek fan, so back in 1996, we were supposed to have eugenics wars, where a race of super beings that we had bred and genetically engineered were supposed to rise up, and we were supposed to fight them. Uh, when that didn't happen, I realized that maybe a lot of the future that I see in TVs and movies is a lie, <laughs> yeah. and that things aren't going to work out as as we wanted to. Uh, there's there's things that I would have liked to have seen though. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, I really don't care if the Cubs win any World Series ever, <laughs> but I would I would have loved to, and every kid would have loved to have had a hoverboard. Yeah. Well, that I, was the one thing I wanted, and that just never really came to fruition. Well, they've got a uh, Lexus built one, I think, right? Yeah, I've seen a prototype of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's just not the same. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I imagine it'll, it'll come in due time. 
Yeah, it's one of those things where I guess if you're a skateboarder kid, did you were you a skateboarder, Harry? A little bit. I had one, but I didn't. I mean, just up and down the streets. I wasn't like doing flips or anything like that. Oh, okay, okay. So I, I guess the you kind of have to be into skateboards because I came from the the. For me, it was it was bikes or skateboards. Okay, you know, and I was into bikes. BMX. I was in the, yeah, I was into BMX. I would say to kids with skateboards, get a bike. <laughs> uh, because that's no more that's no mode of transportation i had a bit of a i don't know a bit of a snobbish quality about being a biker over a border yeah. so yeah i i don't know as far as sports go and and the back to the future thing i think the 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 laces that do themselves up eh. seemed like an afterthought yeah yeah it it's one of those things where interesting it's interesting to look at these ideas and i think sometimes when they when they give us these potential futures they go way too far out and you know if we would have looked at science fiction futures in film well wouldn't skynet have launched missiles by 1997 yeah so the other thing too is i think a lot of back to the future there was all kinds of technology there that was solving problems that we didn't need solving <laughs> Like, nobody's really struggling with shoelaces, are they? That's true. Doesn't seem like a huge problem that needs to be solved. Who needs a hovering robot to walk your dog? If you have a dog, just walk it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Do we need all our food to be dehydrated and then rehydrated for consumption? (laughs) No, not at all. Dehydrated food tastes horrible. I bet. Um, So what has got you guys excited in terms of, um, well, two things, really. One, from a movie perspective, um, I'm a huge fan of trailers, actually. I watch trailers all the time, and sometimes they're the most exciting part of a movie because you watch the movie and it's really disappointing. So are you, um, are, do you know of any movies that are coming up that are really high, you know, present on your radar and, and something that you want to see? Besides Star Wars? Star Wars? <laughs> Besides, <laughs> yeah. Besides Star Wars. Besides the Wars. elephant in the room, yeah. Jonathan? I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, I've got a, I've got a couple. I'm so I'm so focused on Star Wars right now. I'm not even thinking beyond that. Uh, yeah. There's a few Marvel movies coming out next year. I'm excited to see. But Rem, you go ahead and and come back to me. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with this Neil Blomkamp Alien Five thing, and then Ridley what? Scott's doing Prometheus Two, which is now called. Um, it went from being called Paradise Lost, and they've just changed the name of it to I think. Uh, Prometheus Covenant so that's the second film in the Prometheus series hmm. and that's supposed to give us the origins of the of the actual alien xenomorph so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that um, so how that plays out if there are going to be two different alien films sort of the same franchise I'm not sure how they're going to do that if they're going to do that but I would be really curious to see what Neil Blomkamp would have to say about the whole alien thing considering he did such a good job with District 9 Ah, that's the Neil Blanc. Okay, yeah. But uh, Chappie, not so good, though, right? <laughs> Chappie, not so good. It seemed like he took a lot of his ideas and he sort of retreaded them yeah. with Elysium. Mm. Uh, Chappie, it didn't really stand up. I, I thought District 9 was, there was, a, there was a lot more going on in his in this particular movie because it, it examined all those ideas about not only aliens, but how we treat each other. And, and I love that these extraterrestrials were, were rushed off to some sort of slum and almost become mm-hmm. third class citizens. Yeah. Really good storytelling. Yeah. That was really good. Anything come to mind, Jonathan? Oh, tons now. 
Go ahead. I'm thinking, first of all, I'm a huge Superman fan, so that Batman versus Superman, oh, yeah. Dawn of Justice, which I was I was super excited for it, and every time I see a little bit more for it, I just get a little bit more, oh, what the hell are they doing kind of feeling. So I'm hoping that it's going to be better than I'm anticipating. Uh, the Deadpool movie, I'm actually super excited for. That's something I never thought they'd make. And then I thought if they make it, oh, they're going to PG it. But nope, they're making it. It's rated R. That's going to be fabulous. Uh, I saw a trailer for this movie called Allegiant, which is part of the Divergent series. Hmm. And I'll see, I've seen I've seen Divergent, and I thought it was dumb. And I never saw the sequel for it, the one before this Legion thing, but this Legion movie, at least in the trailer, looks like it's going in a different direction and makes me interested in it. So I might I might go see that. Um, and of course, there's a, a Star Trek Beyond, which comes out in, in July. I'm, I'm very, very excited for that. Uh, the ones I'm more tentative on are Ghostbusters. Because I mean, who's not a fan of the original Ghostbusters? Yeah. Even the even the second one is is hilarious, and the Independence Day resurgence. Uh, I'm. I heard you guys uh, chatting about that. I have no idea what. It's all a lot of the same actors too. Yes, it's it's a sequel to the original Independence Day. <laughs> um, there's Didn't, a Conan. There's a Conan movie coming, uh, which isn't really sci-fi, but I'm still looking forward to. How about you, Harry? What are you looking forward to? Um. It's hard. I mean, I don't. I don't really watch. I'm only aware of them. I think when I see them on a trailer, and and I, like I said, I, I like um, anything that's around time travel, and you know, I'm, I I keep an eye out for anything Christopher Nolan is doing. I was a huge fan of uh, Inception. And yes, so <laughs> that was really good. And uh, yeah, and, and if you said there's another, I I, I like the thought of, and I like really like the sci-fi movies that have. Um, that harken back to uh, the 2001 Space Odyssey. That that sort of like show me like the space station and show me like you know I was a fan of uh, Mission to Mars and just kind of this this whole I think maybe it's just like the whole concept of space exploration and like it's hard to do in a way that doesn't come across cheesy. And I think one of the good things at, was it Prometheus that didn't didn't really show much um in terms of like you know, whenever they hold off on showing like what, who, what what the alien looks like or or they just show flashes of it i think they leave more to the imagination i think that's when they do a better job considering how they did the first alien with ridley scott he didn't want to show the alien because it was a guy in a suit yeah. and he said it's a guy in a suit and we only really saw that at the very end and and that was one of those things as far as movie telling going goes it is so much more effective when you give just a little bit. And if you give too much away, it, it takes away the ability for the person to create something even more horrible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, an, I'm a big fan of give me just a little bit enough to spark my imagination, but don't give me too much because I will probably come up with something much more terrifying than I will see on the screen. Yeah. And it's, it's really um, amazing what you can do with like, uh, when you leave a lot to the imagination, and also when you have a low budget, I know you guys covered Primer, and that's actually one of my one of my favorite like unknown movies and sleeper in, indie movies. And I think it's it just speaks to how intelligently they wrote the script and the science behind that. That it was a lot of it was just it was all believable, and there was no CGI in it at all. Yeah, and it's one of those stories that's 
you could see how somebody would be working on this technology and they really hammered away at making this work. And I like that. I, I like when you get a, a story that comes along that's conveying an idea that's scientific and it's plausible and it's it doesn't have to be big with lots of explosions and, and CG to be to be a really compelling story. And, and some of the films that we've done, uh, you know, I tend to gravitate toward the smaller films that have more of a human telling story than a big exploding science fiction, you know, extravaganza explosion fest. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're about an hour in as well. That's interesting. Mm, wow. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for you guys for taking the time to come on and, uh, chat about all things sci-fi and not sci-fi, which I think is, is the beauty of the show. Absolutely. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for having us. Uh, so maybe one, one last question. Um, so think when you, when we think about like stuff that's got you excited from a movie perspective, you know, you guys have, have went, went through a list of a couple of items, but maybe starting with Jonathan, have, have you thought about the, the actual real future itself and, you know, uh, things like what Ray Kurzweil calls the singularity and and all these concepts of what it could be that's not movie-related and that's our day-to-day -day life. Do you, do you think about those things at all? Absolutely. And I'll tell you, one of the things that's, most f uh, that's foremost on my mind is what they're doing with the concepts of the Albuquerque Drive in terms of getting a faster-than-light, well, I guess not technically faster than light just folds the space around it, but it's a, a practical concept that they're starting to do experiments with, which, you know, maybe in a hundred or 200 years, we'll be able to actually have a ship that goes that fast. Practically. It's, it's very, very exciting. Cause it's at its, uh, it's at its infancy now. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it develops into. They'll call it the event horizon. <laughs> God, no, no, no. I'll tell you what they're going to do. They will name it enterprise. Good uh, thinking. Yeah. I guarantee you the first faster than light ship will be named Enterprise. Makes point. sense. Makes what, about, sense. what about you, Rem? I think what we're going to be seeing and what I'm watching now is the this merger that we're going through with technology and and humanity. We're going to get to the point now where and we're going to see it in our lives where we'll be able to download our consciousness mm -hmm. into a, a digital medium. Look at that film Transcendence with Johnny Depp. Yeah, I, th I think at some point we're going to see that, and I'm I'm also really curious to see how we're going to handle robots in our lives, in our daily lives. The implications of that are staggering, and as we become more and more aware of ourselves, I think we're going to learn to use technology in better and better ways. I think it's going to be a good thing. You know, at some point, I can see how we are going to be able to transfer our physical forms into robotic structures or into networks that are able to essentially express themselves across the planet. I think we're going to see this. Yeah. I'm just happy with a robot that vacuums. <laughs> we, we have that already. That's good. I know. I'm extremely <laughs> pleased with it. <laughs> what do you think, Harry? No, I think nanotechnologies and the fact that they're creating um, or the this concept of using d the DNA as your as your supercomputer. Mm. I, ha I had this just revelation recently where we keep trying to build like the fastest computers in the world, and the fastest computer that's ever existed to man has always resided within our own DNA, right? So 
that their ability of the the double helix to contain millions and millions of bits of code is it's one, it's one of the things that I, I think I touched upon in one of the chats we, we had about a mission to Mars and how they, they showed how they repopulated Earth and they, all they did was just send DNA strands of DNA down or spores, whatever you will, you know, panspermia. Um, and so the fact that it can contain so much information and it's within our bodies already, it's like we already have the supercomputers inside of us, so the potential is limitless for what we can do. So maybe instead of sending full-grown bodies... Send the DNA and let the bodies grow there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Lots to think about, and we l- yeah. we definitely live in exciting times and stuff that doesn't didn't even exist like five or ten years ago. I think the rate of change is happening exponentially because when you look at the the span between like the, the big technologies, you know, maybe the, what the printing press and to the radio, the radio to the TV, the TV to the computer, the computer to the cloud, and the cloud to like you know nano technologies. It's each. Ha- it, it's all happening um, on an exponential scale. So, I think we can't even comprehend the rate of change at this point, and can't even pr- predict it for that matter. Now we have three yeah, D printers, and then we're going to have replicators. Yeah. I mean, this time a hundred years ago, we we were barely flying. Yeah, like human flight was invented a little over a hundred years ago. It's crazy. And with within fifty years, we put a man on the moon. Yeah, that's and now within a hundred years, we're talking about can we get something to go faster than light? Yeah, exciting times indeed. It really is, and I think it's something that we can be excited about, and we don't have to be afraid of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, where's the the best place for folks to track you down and and follow along with your uh, your your scientific follies? Oh, best place to go is scifimoviepodcast.com. We took the little dash between sci and fi, so you can put the dash in or leave it out, and both of them go to the same place. So scifimoviepodcast.com, Twitter, Facebook, all the stuff, and show notes, and what, 120-odd previous episodes to listen to? Yeah. 123 on Wednesday, I think. Nice. (laughs) See, the math guy comes... Comes, comes through, through. again. <laughs> hey, if you ever need some work done with a spreadsheet, Jonathan is your man. I I always have a rule that everything can be made better with an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I believe that. I'm a big fan myself. Yeah. Well, uh, Jonathan, Remy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And uh, I really had a blast chatting with you guys. Harry, thank you so much. Appreciate you uh, asking us to come and join you. <laughs> yeah, I had a blast. Thanks a lot. All right. So I hope the, that episode brought back some memories of movies that were important for you when you were growing up and like i mentioned during our conversation there's just some that get imprinted on you Uh, i mentioned jaws at the drive-in and star wars obviously for any kid of my generation and i think that's going to happen for star wars with um this new one that's coming out in in December. I mean, people are going crazy about it already, and I think any kid that goes to see it at a certain age, you know, probably maybe what five to twelve or fifteen or something like that, is just gonna he's gonna have this as this constant memory. And I think we we tend to forget the importance of movies um, as we're growing up and the effect that they have on us. And sometimes they affect us so much that we decide we want to take a career, have a career or in, in movies and become a director or an actor or um, follow some calling that, that gets pulled out of us as a result of this experience we had um, watching 
this magic on 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 the on the big screen. So I it was fun. It was fun to reminisce and um I'm I have a definitely uh, a newfound respect for what these guys do in terms of uh, breaking down the movie and and the passion with which they tackle um these subjects because uh these topics and these movies because uh they they really know their shit and <laughs> let's just put it let's just uh leave it at that um so we are a member all of us today of podcastica and it's the network we've created with uh the walking dead cast evil dead cast under the comic covers the sci-fi movie podcast which you now know a bit more about once upon a podcast and game of microphones so highly recommend that you check one or all of those out uh shout out to cedar and soil cedarsoil.com who compose my intro outro music and uh don't forget for support there's three things that i need all of you to do who are regular podcast junkies junkies Again, if you like the show, download and most importantly, subscribe. Remember that subs- subscribing to the show is really your signal to iTunes that, hey, I dig it. This is awesome. And uh, it helps in the ranking. So if you do one thing only today, subscribe to the show and uh, then tell a friend. Let them know that this is something that they should subscribe to as well because uh, you don't want to miss any of the awesomeness that's coming out and subscribing is the best way. And then telling people to subscribe is, is really cool too. So if you're, if you're new to the show, again, I highly recommend you check out uh, the last five episodes, especially that last one with Leo Tao was pretty cool. And uh, don't forget to uh, support the show by rating and reviewing if you really love the show. So remember, subscribe is always the most important uh, tell a friend and uh, rate and review the show if you haven't already. You can actually pause this right now and go do that. How awesome would that be? I'm putting in uh, a lot of um, time into booking guests and the show prep, so um, I really want to try to bring you an insightful conversation. And as you can see, I'm covering a wide uh, range of genres when it comes to podcasting. So um, I've got some interesting guests lined up, and again, it just they just go back and forth uh, across the spectrum because I think podcasting is not just, you know, should be contained to one genre and I'm fascinated by all of them. And, and I love bringing you guys along for uh, the ride. So um, I think what we're going to do for the retention hashtag for today in honor of uh, the memories that we create when we, that we experience when we go to uh, a movie We'll just call it uh, movie night, hashtag movie night. And um, that'll tell me that you've uh, made it all the way to the end. And I appreciate the folks, the hardcore uh, fans like Patrick, like Denny, like Kim, um, and some others that I'm probably leaving out um, who always make it a point to uh, put the hashtag in their tweet, which is awesome. So if you want to get a shout out, then uh, feel free to do so. I'm at, uh, at podcast underscore junkies on Twitter. Um, but as always, you can get everything at podcastjunkies.com. And uh, I think that's enough for uh, this outro. Thanks again, guys, and have a fantastic week. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Um, it'll be a good one. <laughs>